Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Health and Wellness Show. My name is Jonathan. I'll be your host for today. Uh, today is Friday, April 7th, 2017. Joining me in a virtual studio from all over the planet, we have Doug, Erica, Tiffany, Gabby, and Elliot. Hey, guys. Hello. Hello. So we have a totally full crew today, which is awesome. Yay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, our topic for today is uh, a bit of a mouthful. Um, <laughs> and if you haven't, if you haven't heard of these, uh, fluoroquinolones or fluoroquinolones. Is it quinolones or quinolones? That's where I'm mixing up. I say quinolones. I think it's quinolones. Yeah, me too. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's an area of uh, uh, antibiotic. Uh, so Cipro, Levaquin, Avalox, number of others are the most prescribed antibiotics worldwide. Uh, nearly 26 million prescriptions per year. Um, they're also the subject of numerous lawsuits right now uh, due to their debilitating and systemic side effects. Um, a lot of doctors are prescribing these just even for minor ailments when they don't need to. They're over-prescribing antibiotics. And a lot of people say that this is uh, a huge contributing factor to the new antibiotic-resistant strains of bacteria that are being discovered. Um, so we want to talk about fluoroquinolones today and uh, just what kind of damage they can do. Um, and we have some uh, some input from our resident medical expert, Gabby, uh, <laughs> on that topic today as well. Um, but let's get started with a clip. Uh, we have a, a clip that is in two parts um, talking about uh, powerful antibiotics and how they could be a prescription for danger. So let's do the, the first part right now. We'll discuss a little bit, and then we'll do the second one later. Now to CBS4 Investigates. They are some of the most widely prescribed types of antibiotics, but instead of making patients better, many say they've never been sicker. That's right. The most popular among them is Levaquin. And tonight, CBS4's chief investigative reporter, Michelle Gillen, reports that the FDA is being pushed to increase the warnings about how these drugs should be used. Andrea Ciani, now on crutches, says she doesn't get around her home like she used to, not since she was treated for pneumonia last winter. She was prescribed the generic version of Levaquin, a powerful and popular antibiotic. It was a prescription for 10 days. On the ninth day, my arms went numb. And that night I woke up. In the, around midnight with it felt like flames were coming out of my elbows. Thousands of patients have reported similar reactions to Levaquin, one of a powerful family of antibiotics known as fluoroquinolones. Just how powerful is this class of drugs? Well, two of the prescribed uses are for anthrax and the plague. A Massachusetts man has sued the drug manufacturer, saying he suffered severe and debilitating tendon injuries. Levaquin has a black box warning from the Food and Drug Administration for increased risk of tendon ruptures, muscle weakness, and impacts on the central nervous system. Dr. Mary Lee Worley is a professor at NSU's College of Pharmacy. A black box warning is the most serious warning that a medication can get before really being pulled from the market. It is powerful. Dr. Charles Bennett is one of the nation's leading watchdogs for prescription drugs. He believes the big problem with fluoroquinolones is inappropriate use. And we're talking about going to physician's office, having a little sniffle, walking out with an antibiotic, and then shortly thereafter having these kind of problems. He's filed two citizens' petitions with the FDA seeking to expand that black box warning to include mitochondrial toxicity, meaning damage could occur within a patient's cells. 
The second petition wants to highlight the potential for serious psychiatric events. This is another one from if I'm depressed. Carolyn Egan was given Leviquin to treat a sinus infection. Eight years have passed, and the former daycare provider says she's never been the same. One day I can be okay on focus, and another day I, I can't even talk to anybody because they're not making sense. It, it sounds like they're not speaking English. Leviquin is made by a subsidiary of Johnson & Johnson. In a statement, they said the antibiotic has been used for more than 20 years to treat infections, including those that might be serious or life-threatening. When used according to the product labeling, Leviquin has been proven to be a safe and effective medication. But Dr. Worley cautions. We know that this class of antibiotics is being overly prescribed. If you start experiencing pain, especially around your ankle, to call your doctor immediately. Carolyn says she regrets not knowing about the drug's possible side effects. You don't be normal and then three days after taking a medication, and it's the only medication I was on, you can't walk. In a statement, an FDA spokesperson said the agency is reviewing the citizens' petitions, adding they consider drug labels living documents so they can be updated as new safety information becomes available. Michelle Gillen, CBS, for News. So, you get a lot of bad effects. Um, I was thinking when we were listening to that, that, you, the, that poor woman at the end there uh, who said, you know, how could I know? I think that is the case for a lot of people, and I think maybe – I know I catch myself being guilty of this from time to time, getting a little bit uh, arrogant about what I think I know and being like, how oh, could you not know that that's going to mess you up? <laughs> but, you know, mm-hmm. but, it, but I really think that that's the case of me being cocky and not realizing that most people, you know, are programmed to and in their own minds it's totally reasonable to listen to your doctor. So they, they take this and you say, okay, I'll take that, you know. But one of the women in, the, in this clip, she said that she was prescribed this uh, Levaquin, the generic name, Levofloxacin, when she got pneumonia. The thing is, like, if you go to the pneumonia guidelines, worldwide guidelines, if you have a person diagnosed with pneumonia, you go to your guideline and it says, okay, first choice, either amoxicillin with clavulanic acid. This is a penicillin-derived antibiotic, which is like a very old type of antibiotic. Or it is uh, levaquin, levofloxacin, this fluoroquinolone. So, mm. you know, it's just it's like the first choice that, you have, that you're basically instructed to. And then, if, even if you are, like, uh, very alternative medicine-oriented, if you have pneumonia, you know that you cannot, like, play with that kind of disease, you know, like, you're going to be, mm. like, more open-minded. Okay, I'm going to take antibiotics because I really have a very long a bad lung infection mm-hmm. so i'm going to take antibiotics so you trust you know the process and uh, and now if, you know all of this has come out in the open you know it turns out it was really very bad you know yeah i think there's a little bit too much trust in the process and too much trust in doctors a lot of the times and doctors trust the fda too much uh if you look <laughs> Like for Cipro, there's a label that comes with it. It's 43 pages long, and they don't get to the warnings until page 10. But if you look at this, look at this label. I mean, it has, you know, they use it to treat skin infections. They use it to treat urinary tract infections, sinus infections. And then there's just a little part about how, you know, 
these drugs should only be used as a last resort, like if other antibiotics don't work. So a lot of mm-hmm. doctors will just go to this one right away without even trying anything else first. Right. Yeah. And it's funny. Well, it's not funny at all, actually. It's uh, Even the mm-hmm. FDA came out on the 2016. They updated their guidelines to say, okay, these, these antibiotics should not be a first choice anymore for urinary tract infections. But it seems like nobody got the memo. Mm-hmm. I certainly didn't, yeah. you know. And it's still yeah. prescribed for common things like urinary tract infections. We have like very old antibiotics, which are have a safety track record and that we don't use anymore because we, everybody's programmed like, oh, yeah, it should be a fluoroquinolone, a fluoroquinolone, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, a little bit about the, the history of fluoroquinolones, which includes uh, Cipro and Levaquin moxifloxacin, floxin, they have eye drops, they have ear drops. Um, they were discovered by accident when they were trying to make anti-malarial agents. And there was one, <clears throat> one drug for malaria that was called chloroquine, and it was discovered by Bayer, surprise, surprise, in 1934. And uh, at the time they discovered it, they considered it too toxic for human use. But they ended up using it like uh, a decade after World War II. So the first fluoroquinolone they came up with was nalicylic acid. And then they added a fluorine molecule to it to increase the potency and the spectrum. And the thing about fluorine, um, it increases the permeability of the drug and it helps it cross the blood-brain barrier. And also just fluoride, fluoride by itself. Uh, disrupts collagen synthesis. So that explains a lot of the tendon issues and uh, walking difficulties that people have once they get floxed, which is mm-hmm. the yeah. kind of name for, you know, the uh, fluoroquinolone toxicity that people are going through once they take these drugs. So it's pretty bad news. That's why we that's call it the, the devil in a pill. <laughs> <laughs> and that's in the best case scenario. When it destroys your collagen, you know, all your body, tissues they're made of out of collagen mm-hmm. and they have these reported adverse effect they first you know studied in 2015 and researchers showed in a study that there was a twofold increase of aortic aneurysm and aortic dissection this is when your aortic vessel which is the biggest vessel and the most important one in a certain sense it just bursts you know and it breaks and this was within 60 days of cypro use you know so there are people that are very young that have their, this aortic aneurysm. And this, how did this happen? Oh, by the way, did you ever been treated with Cypro for a urinary infection or a sinus infection? That was probably the cause, you know. Well, I found it interesting, too, that um, this these fluoroclinolones had their success uh, traced back to 1990 Operation Desert Shield, so basically the Gulf War. And the U.S. military was concerned, you know, that the Iraqi forces were going to use anthrax against their soldiers as a bacterial weapon. So the armed forces ordered 30 million doses of Cipro to be administered to the troops as a preventative measure, mainly because it was new. Mm -hmm. So just think of human guinea pigs, right? And... uh, the side effects are believed to have caused what is now known as the Gulf War Syndrome. So a lot of vets yeah. 
have, again, these debilitating neuropathology, leg and tendon issues, not to mention this psychiatric mm-hmm. hallucinations. And it's just so scary that, you know, they would use American soldiers, they would see these things happen, and then it became, you know, new and popular, and now we're going to start using it all the time with everyone. Yeah, and even and after no, the, the <clears throat> anthrax attacks after 9-11, uh, Bayer produced like over 200 million more additional doses of Cipro because people were like just in a panic and scared to death and they started ordering all these antibiotics. Yeah, that's when it got really popular because I think I retrospectively in the 90s, nah, it was like, Cipro, are you kidding me? We have safer things, you know, or it doesn't call for Cipro, you know. But after 9-11, yes, it became very popular and very widely prescribed, you know. The thing was that it wasn't even indicated as a preventative for anthrax, but they just ordered it and, and were using it that way. Like uh, some of the, the reports I was reading coming from vets were talking about how they were just given these pills. And they said, you know, this this pill is for, um, it, you know, if, if anybody tries to use anthrax, it'll prevent it. But there was no actual indication that it could do that. I mean, you know, it's an antibacterial, so um, antibiotic. So, I mean, it, you know, maybe if somebody was infected, it could it could uh, possibly do something. But there's no real indication that it can actually work as a preventative. Yeah. So, really, like guinea pigs is right. There was really there there was no no reason to believe that this drug with these absolutely horrible side effects actually would do what they wanted it to do. Yeah, and even on the label for Cipro, they say it's for post exposure to anthrax, not as a preventative. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And then for, yeah. for the longest time, nobody was completely sure because, for example, vets uh, and uh, they were also given vaccines, like anthrax vaccines or, you know, vaccines that are really like, what? With squalene yeah. in them. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. What, what they received yeah. such a, co- t- a cocktail of toxic stuff that, you know, what was it? You know, nobody was sure, you know. Well, that's why they're so so not wanting to even admit that there's this Gulf War syndrome that has happened, and mm-hmm. now it's been you know mm-hmm. over twenty years, and these vets are still suffering, and a lot of them die waiting to get treatment. And the recommended treatment for Gulf War syndrome is antidepressants and talk therapy, and they're actually no. suffering from a severe side effect to either the vaccines or the medicines that they were given, and their answer to that is antidepressants. And talk it's therapy. criminal. Yeah, it's criminal. Talk it out. Yeah, talk it out, is, talk it out your story. Yeah. It totally is criminal. And that's a whole other, I mean, that's a whole huge discussion we could get into, the fact that, that they were using people who most of them have PTSD, you know, as a basis for these experiments. Mm-hmm. And so absolutely no compassion for the state of mind of these people who they consider their subjects, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, they're also. number 523. Yeah, they're also government property. So they can't yeah. say, no, I'm not going to take right. that. I mean, that especially happened with the vaccines. You couldn't even use a religious exemption not to get the vaccines yeah. because you are a number well, and a piece of their property. One of the things that's, that's kind of scary to me about this uh, is the whole antibiotic-resistant strains of bacteria that, that are coming around. And I think, I guess, let's see what you guys think about this. To me, that's a little more scary than the idea that the that the antibiotics themselves would be damaging to the body because that's something we can roll back, right? I mean, if you do a hypothetical discussion, not saying, 
you know, the, the FDA is going to get rid of this. They probably won't. But, uh, you know, you could theoretically roll that back by stop giving, stop, uh, giving people these drugs. Uh, however, uh, in the meantime of developing and administering the drugs, we've created strains of bacteria who are now uh, resistant to even our most powerful antibiotics. So that's something we can't roll back. We're kind of stuck with that now, you know. Mm-hmm. And those bacteria are just going to keep mutating as long as we keep using these. Um, and if anybody's listening is, is in the chat, I'm just posting a link to a video. And we've mentioned this before on the podcast, but it's, it's worth looking at, uh, looking up. So it shows a time lapse video of bacteria as they become resistant to antibiotics over a giant petri mm-hmm. dish. And you can see them stop and then mutate and then continue to grow. Uh, and they reach a point on the petri dish where I want to say there's like, hundred times concentration of the most powerful antibiotic and this bacteria is just growing right through it. Mm. Huh. Jeez. <sighs> so yeah. I don't know what you guys think about that idea. Like, do you think that the bigger danger is, is the, the evolution of bacteria or the fact that we're damaging everybody's systems with this? Because is this permanent damage that's happening? In many cases, it yes. It seems in some cases yes. it is. Yeah. Yeah, in fact, some of the reports are like after taking one pill, suddenly they can't walk anymore, you know, and they and years later they still haven't recovered. So, it, it these the the effects of this drug are in, for some people are extremely serious. Now, whether to say you know I don't know if I can necessarily put that on a scale as to where it it kind of lies with uh, uh, antibiotic resistant bacteria, but I don't know well, which is scarier. Take, for example, the aortic aneurysm. Basically, the antibiotic destroys the collagen skeleton of the aortic, you know, vessel. And you have an aneurysm. Um, you cannot reverse that. I will be very pleased if I hear of a testimonial of somebody who did a detox, a diet, and reverse that. But now that is pretty structural. The only way you could really fix it if it gets really bad is with surgery, you know, heart mm. surgery or vascular surgery, you know, mm. where you have to get the aortic vessel replaced with a prosthesis. Mm. Assuming you have health insurance. Yeah. Exactly. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes you I think... So it, if you can afford, yeah, to go to Mexico and have the surgery. <laughs> Medical tourism. <laughs> Some ways I think it's somewhat of a blessing to not have health insurance because <laughs> it saves you from a lot of doctor's visits. <laughs> sure. Well, I yeah. wanted to, I, I, you know, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead, Gabby. Well, I wanted to go through each uh, fluoroquinolone and basically tell people what it is prescribed nowadays, you know, yeah. because hmm. a lot of people are aware, okay, maybe I should be careful or like be more, have an argument or a nice discussion with my doctor, but no. Yeah, in the moment is most people like forget and they just get the prescription and they just go ahead with it. It sounds pretty bad, but uh, you have to be very experienced in order to be to stand up in your feet, you know, when you're going to argument with a doctor. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, Cypro, you know, we know we discussed that it is prescribed for anthrax, you know. But it's something that you get prescribed if you have a urinary tract infection and especially the elderly. Uh, the elder the people are, the more, the higher the chance they will be prescribed a fluoroquinolone. At least the last group that should be, you know, prescribed a fluoroquinolone. Um, like, 
uh, uh, ear infections, sinus infections, you know, you get Cypro as well. Uh, an infection in the skin, you get Cypro as well. Then norfloxacin, this is common for young women uh, with urinary tract infections. You know, they will get prescribed this one very quickly. And level, the levoquin or tavanic or levofloxacin, it is the most common prescribed antibiotic for pneumonia. And then, uh, and that, and the list goes on. But basically, you know, sinus infections, urinary infections, pneumonia, and prostate uh, infections in the genital system, like the prostate gland, mm-hmm. or even a pelvic uh, infection. You know, sexually transmitted diseases. Yeah, it will be a fluoroquinolone. So I'm curious about something, and Gabby, what, what you think about this? Like, uh, antibiotics themselves are not necessarily bad, right? I mean, because we have, we are in a place now, despite the draconian nature of the medical establishment, where you don't have to worry about dying if you cut your arm. You know, not like the old west, like where if you get an infection, you could be done. You might die from that. That's not mm-hmm. really a worry anymore. So I wonder where we went wrong. You know, did are, are the drugs just too strong? Uh, was the establishment careless in its seeking of, of profits, you know, with Big Pharma? Like, I wonder where the um, the digression happened, where these became dangerous as opposed to beneficial. I think it comes from both uh, the, the healthcare system, doctors, but also people. You will be surprised how some people really push it really so hard consulting again and again and again because they want an antibiotic prescribed and they're gonna not going to give up until you do it that. It's crazy, but yeah, there you go. <laughs> and then um, I always think back when I studied the antibiotics, their mechanism of actions of every single one. It is pretty scary stuff. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you'll think like, right, <laughs> this is like, you know, I don't want this, you know, unless it's strictly necessary. It interferes with DNA replication in presumably only the bacteria or the bug, you know. But, you know, your body is made out of DNA as well. And there's also the evolutionary history that, you know, your mitochondria has a shared evolutionary history with bacteria. Mm, Like, so, yeah, if you interfere with the bacteria's DNA, wouldn't you be interfering with the human mitochondria's DNA? This is uh, what where people are speculating or, you know, they're, they're researching about fluoroquinolones. This is how, you know, uh, it's so evil because it basically causes severe mitochondrial dysfunction. And I think it is in people that are very vulnerable, like already have their toxic load or they are vulnerability. Yeah, they end up with severe mitochondrial dysfunction that is very difficult or nearly impossible to reverse, you know, after taking fluoroquinolone. Yeah. So I guess I, I would say that my assessment was wrong, and this is not damage that can simply be rolled back by ceasing the drug. No. Yeah, that's what well, that was my illusion as well. Like, yeah, you yeah. detox; it should be fine. Well, apparently, no. People are been doing doing detox for years, and it's nothing happening. You know. Yeah. That's depressing. Yeah, it's not just a matter of clearing the drug from your body because it clears, but once it's in there, the damage that it does is so extensive. I mean, you're left with that, and you can't detox. Can you detox collagen injury or mitochondrial injury or damage to your central nervous system or your retinas detaching? You can't detox that. Yeah, 
I guess, I guess theoretically, like you could get rid of all of those mitochondria and produce more because that's mm-hmm. generally what happens a lot. But it takes a load of energy, and like if that if it gets to a point where the mitochondria are so stressed out, then usually a person just dies. <laughs> they yeah. don't have they don't have the resources to make all of the new ones. Well, um, assuming that so, you know that too, I mean, when you read these stories about people, they have no idea they had a pneumonia and then they couldn't walk or. And yeah. they're so debilitated and they're dealing with the pain day in, day out, just, you know, be able to be able to function at some basic level. And not to mention all of the uh, mental health issues that people get, like the hallucinations and delusions and the night terrors and all that. You can't think straight when all of that is going on. Like the woman in the clip, she said sometimes she'd be OK and then other times people would speak to her and she it wasn't like they weren't even speaking English. I mean, how can you yeah. formulate some kind of game plan when you're under that kind of physical stress? No. Uh, take, for instance, what Tiffany said about retinal detachment. It's, uh, there's nearly a five-fold higher uh, risk of retinal detachment among current users of fluoroquinolones compared to non-users. So once wow, your retina, so like, yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah. So once your retina detaches, you can go blind. You know, you are not. You know, you're not going to reverse that. You have to like rejuvenate on a serious, you know, level to in order to see again. You know. Hmm. And are you going to think, oh, I shouldn't have taken that antibiotic because now mm-hmm. I can't see? Yeah, and if you're a t- a- Achilles tendon <laughs> ruptures, I mean, you have to have surgery. Yeah. Well, imagine going in for like a sinus infection and your doctor prescribes you a pill and then, you know, your retina detaches or you have such serious uh, nerve pain that you can't get out of bed in the morning or all your teeth start falling out. That's another um uh, effect that people are reporting from uh, taking uh, these fluoroquinolones uh, um, that they actually start to lose their teeth. Like their teeth start breaking off, um, kind of shrinking, falling out, getting abscesses, all these kinds of things. Like, is, is it really worth, <laughs> like, you know, for, for your sinus infection to, to lose all your teeth? Mm-hmm. Well, I have a personal testimonial to share about fluoroquinolones, and I don't know which one it was. This is many years ago, but when I was pregnant, I had a bladder infection, which is pretty common, and I was given one of these drugs. And when my daughter was born and her teeth came in, she had big holes in her teeth. So it's going into your child, obviously. And it was, at the time, the doctor had said, oh, did you take this this antibiotic while you were pregnant? Well, that is a result of you taking that. Jesus. It's a good thing it was her baby, too. I know. But it is surprising because as far as I know, fluoroquinolones are, um, they're always being contraindicated in pregnant women. Mm-hmm. Mm. So, it's surprising. There are that- plenty of doctors out there who will go off of all those, so. Yeah. Well, hey, let's uh, let's go to part two of that uh, CBS Four Investigates uh, clip about fluoroquinolones, and then we'll we'll come back and discuss some more. Okay. Investigates prescription for danger. Your emails and calls poured in when we first brought you this story. And tonight, a chilling warning from a South Florida man who fears his life will be cut short because of a prescribed antibiotic. All this as CBS4 Chief Investigator Michelle Gillen digs deep to find out what the FDA may not be telling you. In your opinion, 
what does having taken Levaquin, how has that affected your life? It has destroyed it, completely destroyed it. Um, as you can see, it killed my teeth. It has uh, destroyed my jaw, so I cannot have any oral surgery to repair it. It has dissolved my tendons and connective tissue, and my muscles are actually decaying. And my prognosis is very dim. 60-year-old Joseph King of North Miami says his life changed and he believes could end prematurely because of what he considers to be a toxic poisoning by the antibiotic Levaquin. Levaquin is one of a class of antibiotics called fluoroquinolones, coming under heightened scrutiny by some medical researchers and the public. Four years ago, King says he was prescribed Levaquin in an ER after suffering from salmonella poisoning, food poisoning. I was given it intravenously, and then I was put on a dose of it orally for the next 30 days. As we first reported to you, this class of antibiotics carries a black box warning, including for possible tendon injuries. Since our first report, we've learned something more. This is an internal FDA safety report on the potential negative impact this class of drugs has on nerve endings. But dig deep, and you will find the FDA's own revelation of how these drugs can essentially impact you in a way similar to neurodegenerative diseases such as Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, and ALS. If these drugs can affect the function of our cells, the mitochondria, and ultimately the brain, Alan Red, biological anthropologist, says it's chilling. They state explicitly in there that mitochondrial dysfunction can um, be associated with neurological diseases like Alzheimer's, ALS, and Parkinson's. So, so there's a disconnect between the document, the internal document, and what was released to the public. And I find that disturbing. I find that outrageous, actually. You also say that you have been harmed by taking this particular class of drugs. Red says he was damaged by taking this class of antibiotics five years ago. He says he... Suffered a number of side effects. And they have not resolved completely. Meanwhile, Red is pushing for more transparency from the FDA regarding its own findings, joining supporters of a citizen's petition filed with the FDA last June. Come clean and, and um, tell the public and the physicians that this class of drugs, as you've noted in your document, has the potential to damage mitochondria, mitochondria cause dysfunction, and potentially increase your probability of getting neurological diseases. Joe King agrees. Michelle, not only is the public not aware of this, the doctors are not aware of it either. King agrees with most experts that these drugs can be life-saving for many, especially in cases of life-threatening illnesses. But he fears without additional warnings, other patients could find themselves walking in his shoes. And now your, your goal is to make it each day. The manufacturer of Levaquin provided us this statement. Levaquin is part of an important class of anti-infective prescription medications that have been used for more than 20 years to treat infections, including those that may be serious or life-threatening. When used according to product labeling, Levaquin has been proven to have a favorable benefit-risk profile. And about that internal document, the FDA tells us it cannot comment on pending citizens' petitions and referred us to their webpage where the current black box warning is detailed.
Michelle Gill in CBS 4 News. Yeah. Wow. I love how the drug companies always come back with, oh, it's been used for X number of years and it always has a nice safety record. And despite all of the the carnage that is left in its wake. Well, that's that's tricky too because. One one of the problems with uh, this is that people end up with these symptoms and they don't necessarily connect it back to a drug that they took, especially like an antibiotic they took for a sinus infection or a UTI. Uh, Part of the problem is that there's a a long, uh, in many cases, there's delayed reactions. So it's like, you know, you you take the drug and then it's like not for months later until like you start having these, these weird symptoms start showing up. So a lot of times people are not making that connection. They're not connecting back to the, oh, this must be because of that antibiotic I took. They're just like, what the hell is going on? That's yeah, but there's other kids. times, too, where people just take one dose and immediately they're affected and they'll report it to their doctor. Yeah. And they have the the AERS, A-E-R-S, the Adverse Events Reporting System, where you can report uh, drug side effects. And I think that doctors, some doctors will be reluctant to do that because, for one, they're the ones who prescribed it. So that's kind of like their... Admitting and, guilt. Yeah, admitting guilt for the, their own stupidity for prescribing this medication that totally messed up their patient. It's like the same thing it's with vaccines, but the problem we have with this antibiotic is that it is the elderly who gets uh, prescribed it the most. And they will think mm-hmm. that, oh, it's due to old age, this is mm-hmm. normal. No, it is not. And when you have a young person, a college student, um, here I'm reading literally, I was a healthy, active college student uh, minoring in dance when I took this for a sinus infection. After a few pills, it completely destroyed my life. No more than an hour of sleep for over a year due to neurological damage that destroyed my sleep cycle. And Mm -hmm. other young people taking it and they they had practiced yoga and I don't know, and then they had a ruptured tendon, you know, that shouldn't happen. And that's when, you know, yeah, you can see the connection. But yes, most people don't connect the dots and they just don't, you know, doctors, nobody read the signs like, yes, this is an adverse effect, a severe adverse effect. You know. Yeah. One thing that, um, that really concerns me is that one of the side effects is that it supposedly disrupts um, the tubulin. So it disrupts the tubulin assemb- assembly. So tubulin is like a really, really interesting protein. Um, if you look deeply into the research about it it's actually fascinating it makes up um uh, basically like the architecture of the cell the thing that ho- holds the cell in place almost uh, it's called the cytoskeleton and so this tubulin has really interesting properties in that when it's formed into this cytoskeleton um it combined with water and when it binds with water it structures that water in such a way that it's it forms like a hydration shell and uh, there's a lot of scientists doing a lot of work now, which are based on um, basically the idea that water is somehow uh, able to transmit certain energy um, in the cell, even though it might be the, the main source of the cellular energy. And so when, when you take this fluoroquinolone and it's basically disrupting this, this really, really, really important protein, um, the, the cell the cytoskeleton of the cell will essentially fall apart. So your cells are falling apart and, and you're not going to be able to, um, to function in the way that it does. And I think this could also help to explain why there are, you know, common tendonite tendon ruptures and, 
and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. Apart with the fact that it messes up the collagen, it, it, it seems to actually destroy the whole cell, not even just the mitochondria. Um, and that's mm-hmm. really disturbing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just think about a disantibiotic. It, ha- it has fluoride, basically, you know, mm-hmm. fluoride. And people doing iodine therapy, thinking that it will detox them from the fluoroquinolone antibiotic. They actually have the most severe detox reactions that even in the cure zone forum, they said, oh boy, if you took a Cypro or any fluoroquinolone antibiotic, you might want to start with something else because iodine might be too much for you. So, yeah. Hmm. Well, there was this uh, doctor at the University of Rochester. His name is Dr. Mark Noble, and he conducted some experiments on people, uh, well, not people, but cells uh, that have uh, fluoroquinolone. Um, so a lot of people don't take into consideration that when people take antibiotics, it's not like a lot of them, that's the only pill that they take. Some of them do. But these fluoroquinolones are sometimes given in combination with other medications like prednisone or somebody might be taking over-the-counter naproxen or Aleve. So this doctor did some experiments and he used these precursor cells uh, that generate myelin in the central nervous system. And he tested Leviquin on the cells in his lab and he noticed that there was a damaging effect with just Leviquin alone. But when he combined it with Aleve or with prednisone, there was a 65% reduction in these precursor cells that form myelin. So Mm. taking it by itself is bad enough, but taking it with other medications is doubly bad. I don't even think there's been one study. What's that? I was going to ask you, is Aleve an NSAID? Non-steroidal anti-inflammatory? Yes. Yes. So okay, even yeah. with non-steroidal, those two together are, are, yeah, yeah. So even with That's non-steroidal gonna... and steroidal anti-inflammatories, these fluoroquinolones can do some major damage. That's the standard uh, treatment for even people with um, COPD, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, which nowadays is quite a lot of people. Okay, first thing they get into the emergency room. Okay, steroids, you know, so they can breathe better. And uh, an antibiotic, levo, you know, fluoroquinolone, levofloxacin, you know, they're, you know, those two are commonly prescribed in, you know, people with uh, COVID disease, you know. Yeah, but the, the problem is, is that, like, when you ingest one of these fluoroquinolones, your inflammatory response is going to be probably going mad to try and protect you and save your body. Mm-hmm. And what you're doing is, one, you're suppressing that protective mechanism against this poison, and you're essentially allowing that poison just to do whatever it wants to do. And that's really tragic. So knowledge protects, you know, if you find yourself in the most uncomfortable situation where you have a really bad infection that, you know, calls for an antibiotic, uh, it will be wise to have this information, you know, in mind and, you know, basically, you know, uh, make the request saying that you're intolerant to fluoroquinolones. Nowadays, Mm -hmm. there are very good antibiotics that have a track record derived uh, from Penicillin, which was the first antibiotic used in the medical history. 
and it has a good record. You know, there are third-generation cephalosporins that do the job, and they're not fluoroquinolones. So basically, yes, just like say, like, yeah, like any antibiotic except for fluoroquinolone, which should really be reserved as the last option when there is resistance to any other antibiotic, you know? Yeah, just say you're allergic to fluoroquinolones on your medication list. Yeah, that will freak freak them out. (laughs) Well, it's tricky, though, too, because, you know, people, like, at at one point when I was reading this, I was like, okay, well, I'll just make sure that I never you know, take a prescription for Cipro or, you know, whatever these other names are. But then I looked up all the different types, like including generic names and and brand names, and it was close to 50. Mm -hmm. So I was like, well, I'm not going to memorize this list. So it's kind of like, you know, unfortunately, it's kind of a situation where the patient really needs to do the research and kind of, when they get their prescription, kind of look it up and see what it is. And if it's a uh, fluoroquinolone, then I'd say ask for an alternative. Yeah, and that's the problem because uh, most people will arrive to this situation quite unexpectedly. Like most people in the emergency room with an infection already developed, yeah. they're like, oh my God, there's not, you know, time's up, you know, basically. So basically, yeah, yeah have, having this information, be aware of this information, basically say, yeah, I'm intolerant or allergic to fluoroquinolones. Any other group will do, you know. Yeah. Be yeah. the best option. I, f- I feel like too, and I got to be really careful saying this. So I want to be very clear that this is not medical advice. <laughs> uh, just to, you know, very in retrospect. Um, however, it, what makes me curious is like why pe- more people don't try self-treatment. Uh, and that's a really complex issue to bring up with people because you could very easily be interpreted as saying like, you know, you encourage somebody to try to treat themselves. And so they died because they didn't know how to do it. So that's, you know, mm-hmm. yes, that is possible outcome so you need to be very careful uh and do your research but i like the way i think i don't go to a doctor unless i'm like bleeding out you know uh mm-hmm. and it, huh. it blows my mind that people go to the hospital for like sinus infection because there's so many ways to take mm-hmm. care of it but i know that there are more serious cases and sometimes you know um like my girlfriend a number of years ago got walking pneumonia and that was really scary you know because you're like i don't know this mm-hmm. is pretty bad so there are obviously cases where you have to go and have a medical professional check you out. But I think a lot of these cases, Gabby, like you mentioned earlier, it's the patients. They're like, oh, no, I need, I got a sniffle. I need an antibiotic, you know, which is just yeah. too much. And I personally know of situations where, yeah, people are, you know, basically rely on alternative medicine, on research, on taking care of themselves. But they have reached that situation where, no, not even that was enough, that they really needed an antibiotic for a really bad infection, you know. Mm-hmm. It can, it can, it can happen. You know, we don't think about these situations, but yeah, it can, it can happen to you. And that's when you have to really be like, yeah, <laughs> more aware of you know the, the how evil these antibiotics can be, but that that are very good antibiotics that are safer, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that but that you should really like you know talk back to your doctor. Most people don't like to be in that situation, but I'm sorry, you know, gotta be done, you know. Well, another disturbing thing about this class of antibiotics is that there's they have similar effects of, of chemotherapy drugs. Um, mm-hmm. They interfere with DNA replication. They target something called the topoisomerases. I know I'm saying that wrong, but these are enzymes that regulate 
DNA replication and reproduction. And you don't want to take anything that screws with your DNA or your mitochondria, or Elliot was talking about the the tubulins before. Um, But the scary thing about these drugs is they derive chemotherapy drugs from uh, fluoroquinolones. And that just tells you how powerful they are because the traditional treatment for cancer is to just blast it, you know, completely try to just kill it, kill the DNA within the, the cancer to keep it from replicating. So you have to think that you're doing that to the DNA in your own body. You're not just targeting the cancer cells because these fluoroquinolones, they, they're in everything. They end up in your saliva and your skin, uh, your bodily secretions. They end up in your uh, spinal fluid. They go everywhere. Well, and brain. mitochondria is everywhere and DNA is everywhere in your body. Mm-hmm. Spinal fluid, man, it seems like that would be one of the most dangerous places for that to be. That's listed on the 43-page yeah. package insert for Cipro. <laughs> you know that if you took a fluoroquinolone, uh, night in, okay, this is a Mercola article. It says adverse reactions of fluoroquinolones were documented in Europe as far as back as the 80s, and he mm. quotes that 91% of patients, that basically the totality of them, had nervous system symptoms, you know. Mm. It was either tingling, numbness, that you could say, oh, I have a tingling here, maybe it passes, maybe not. Dissonance, you know, weakness, but also psychotic episodes, anxiety, you know, lots of memory and so forth. So I guess uh, I'm not not trying to be naive here. I understand that profit is a huge motivator, right? And that big pharma controls a lot of this process where what drugs get approved and, you know, what drugs the doctors give out, you know, and they they market these to the doctors and they butter them up. And so I, I understand all of that. I guess the question still comes to mind, like, what what is going on here? Like, are the do the doctors do, do they ignore? Do they ignore the side effects because you know it's it's easier to go along with the flow, uh, or or is it something where they just don't think that they're that bad? Both. Uh, they don't. Yeah. From my experience, they don't know. Both. They don't know. Yeah. Because I know a lot of doctors are are well meaning. You know, a, a lot of them really are, and I know a lot of them are probably. You know, no offense, but kind of ignorant too, where they just like kind of follow the guidelines and go with what the, the status Very quo naive. is. Maybe so bad. I have to think the 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 percentage of like kind of uh, maliciously ignorant doctors has got to be fairly small. Like where they're just like, yeah, you know, screw my patients, I'm making some money off this. I think that would be <laughs> pretty small. Yeah, that's that's the case. So people see that a well-meaning doctor, you know, I know quite a few. Mm-hmm. And they will trust that doctor. And it's uh, it's ignorance that it's where the most evil, you know, uh, takes place. But the problem right now that I see nowadays is like a urinary tract infection in an elderly man or woman. It calls for an antibiotic of this type. Not necessarily fluoroquinolone, but it's got to be uh, serious stuff. It's not got to be a, like a one or two days antibiotic like in young people. It's got to be a one week or ten days strong antibiotic. So most mm-hmm. people, most doctors think about fluoroquinolones. There are other options. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, and pneumonia as well. Like, the first line of choice is fluoroquinolone. There are other options as well. And, you know, we're starting to think about that not just now because of, you know, it's 
especially is this, but that's the problem right now, you know, that I see. Yeah, I mean, the aggravating thing about it is that there are alternatives. Like, they don't have to go for the biggest gun they can get, you know, to, to solve, in many cases, rather mundane problems. Uh, but it seems like that's what people want to do, you know? Like, like let's bring in a tank to uh, unlock a door. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, yeah. it, it just kind of, it's, it's, uh, I don't know, it's kind of that mentality that, like, that, that you need to kind of get, you always use the best. Let's go right. with the best. Or well, in this case, not necessarily the best, but the most powerful. It's interesting you say that, Doug, because in one of the articles I was reading, they were talking about this professor of clinical pharmacology. His name is David Flockhart. And he was, he was talking about Cipro, and he said, basically, it's a big gun whose benefits outweigh the risks in certain circumstances. But the bigger the, the gun you use, the more damage you can expect as collateral. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, now the FDA has said, oh, okay, for urinary tract infections, chronic bronchitis, you know, sinus infections, just stop, you know, don't think about fluoroquinolones, use something else. But nobody knows this as far as I'm aware, yeah. you know. like people don't, they don't get that information. They miss the memo on that. Well, interesting you mentioned the FDA <laughs> because uh, yeah. there's actually a... a, a the Food and Death Administration, but no. <laughs> the, there's a lawsuit filed <laughs> um, th- just this year in June, I believe. Um, there was a lawsuit filed against the commissioner, Dr. Margaret Hamburg, and basically it hi- highlights industry influence at the highest government levels. And so this woman, Ms. Hamburg, and her husband, Peter Brown, and Johnson & Johnson are being charged with conspirato- conspiracy, racketeering, and colluding to conceal the dangers of the antibiotic Levaquin. So they talk about how this suit was filed, and the parties are claiming that the drugs' dangers were suppressed for financial gain. Not a big surprise there. But they talk about Peter Brown, and so this is the the FDA commissioner's husband, right? So he's an executive in a hedge fund called Renaissance Technology, Renaissance Technologies, which held hundreds of millions of dollars in Johnson & Johnson's stock. So while the defendant Hamburg, her husband, and uh, Brown's annual income was over $10 million in 2008, it rose to $125 million in 2011, and it estimated at $90 million in 2012. So the defendant's racketeering conspiracy to withhold information about this devastating, life-threatening, and deadly effects of Levaquin basically show you, once again, as we've talked about numerous times on this show, that the FDA is doing absolutely nothing. And they're the watchdog. They also approve the drugs, but at the same time, they're tasked with taking drugs off the market. That kind of doesn't make any sense. There should be a separate regulatory agency for that. But I think, again, it's like the people at the top, I think that they know. And you have all the foot soldiers down at the bottom, like the the doctors that take care of patients every day, who kind of are not in the know. And they rely too much on the FDA. At the same time, they rely, but they don't really go and read the labels and the warnings and all that very thoroughly. I'm sure some doctors are clued in, but I say the 
I would guess that the vast majority of doctors working day to day in their offices don't really delve much into the literature. At the most, they might read an abstract wow. here and there. Well, and it wasn't until you after that, Hamburg yeah, left. Pages. Yeah. yeah. It was only after Hamburg left the FDA that they put clear warnings about Levaquin on the complaint, mm. you know, as a complaint. The 43 pages, they don't insert that on the package. It doesn't fit. No. The insert pa- package, it has only one page. And it reminds me of a pharmacologist, and I think I've said this in a previous show, that he studied pharmacology for the whole his life. He was like 70 years old, you know. He said that he knew like four drugs well, you know. That he studied his whole life, you know. <laughs> and are we expected to know like how many fluoroquinones there are? Like thirty-eight? I don't know. You know, they're... <laughs> it's crazy. Like, yeah, we yeah. don't know what we're doing. Yeah. On the plus side, I have a couple of testimonials of people with fluoroquinoline toxicity. They had really bad joint pains, and they have uh, success. He said, "This guy." Uh, one-fourth of a teaspoon of borax in one liter of distilled water with apple cider vinegar. He said that relieved most of his pain. And another testimonial mm. was um, complementary to that with borax and apple cider vinegar. There's been a couple. I was reading uh, a couple of the, the – there's a lot of um, uh, kind of community – um, like websites where, where people, um, you know, message boards and stuff where, where people who are suffering from getting floxed, um, will communicate with each other and talk about different things that have worked for them. And apparently one of the, the big things for them now is to do, um, uh, ozone therapy or hydrogen peroxide therapy. Apparently those, uh, quite a few people are finding relief from that. Um, yeah. and there was I another one I was reading. There was some hydrogen Sorry? peroxide therapy has to be done IV. I think a problem with that is mm-hmm. finding a doctor who'd be willing to go along with that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there are doctors who do ozone therapy. Uh, you just have to find them. I think if I will be a, um, I will if I will suffer from fluoroquinoline toxicity, I will try ozone therapy, and then mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. other you know mitochondrial mitochondrial dysfunction protocols, and then consider iodine therapy. Because even though uh, it's tricky to do iodine therapy, there has been a few positive testimonials, you know, to remove mm-hmm. fluoride from your body with iodine, you know. Mm-hmm. I would think, too, since we're talking about mitochondrial damage, that cold therapy would be good for this, right? Mm, maybe. Yeah. But not just like the occasional cold bath. I mean, like dedicated cold therapy. Or even fasting yeah. can boost your sure. mitochondria. Uh, sure, one of yeah. the, the treatments I was looking into was uh, magnesium, uh, allegedly. Not that there's been any yeah. research on this. Uh, the magnesium binds to the drug, and it helps prevent some of the, the collagen damage. Um, it can boost the the proteins in the extracellular matrix and give more strength to the collagen. And a lot of these drugs actually deplete you of magnesium. So one of the sources I was looking at. Uh, one of the recommendations was to just bathe yourself in magnesium as much as you can, like the Epsom salt mm-hmm. baths, foot soaks, uh, magnesium oil spray, magnesium tablets internally. Just get as much magnesium into you as you can. 
But there was also a mention on one of these uh, support groups about something called homeocipro, which is a homeopathic remedy. But one of mm-hmm. the problems was that over time, the the homeocipro was not effective and you need to go to a special compounding homeopathic pharmacy to get increased potencies. But that might be mm-hmm. um, one source that somebody who's been floxed can look into. Yeah. I'd probably like megadose glycine as well, or drink a load of bone broth, mm-hmm. um, lots of gelatin, lots of collagen powder, if you can get the grass-fed one, mm-hmm. because, you know, despite what some people say, collagen, you know, it can be replaced, it can be, I think everything in the body, to some extent, can be regenerated, and so I if you've got loads of messed up collagen, then I would imagine that really like supplying the body with with the nutrients that are needed for the collagen formation so you know like glycine proline um glutamine as well that that should help um mm. I, I can imagine that might help for the mitochondria another good thing might be to bathe in red light um that helps a lot of people with mitochondrial dysfunction usually if mitochondria like aren't working properly then you have uh, an increase of nitric oxide but what, what happens is the nitric oxide binds to a part of the mitochondria called cytochrome C oxidase, and this stops it from working. So the red light is really effective in actually dissociating the nitric oxide from the mitochondria and allowing it to start functioning properly again. Um, so that might be an idea. I know a lot of people have sort of got benefits from that. Mm-hmm. And remember to buy organic meat because they are u- they're using fluoroquinolones in U.S. farms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Allegedly, like though, <laughs> in yeah. 2005, I think it was the FDA that said that they are no longer allowing in-row floxacin to be used in water given to chickens. But hmm. uh, independent researchers have uh, looked at meat residues, not just chicken, but like beef and pork, too. And they found uh, fluoroquinolone residues in 2014, 2013, and 2012. <laughs> Hmm. Well, Miss Hamburg this, was involved in that too. Yeah, this makes she was me at think of FDA. bird flu. <laughs> <laughs> she yeah, rolled out a pathetic voluntary measure to control the use of antibiotics on in farms. <laughs> so it's really, uh, I mean, that's another aspect of like the the diet control kind of thing that we talk about. It, you know, the quality of your meat uh, is really important. Um, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of obviously from time to time going to the store and being like, I'll just get a, a roast, you know, just the whatever, like it looks okay. Okay. I'll get that. But you know, it really is, uh, it really is important to be much more discerning about, um, meat, you know, it, at least organic if you can't find grass fed meat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And also remember to heal your microbiome if you took one of these antibiotics, um, the spike of Clostridium difficile uh, infections has uh, um, has gone up after the use of fluoroquinolones. And this is a thing for fecal transplants. It's the only indication for fecal transplants nowadays. You know, resistant Clostridium difficile. You know, this is a gut infection that is really hard to treat. Mm-hmm. And they were speculating as well that damaged microbiome was behind a, t- a tooth loss associated with fluoroquinolone. 
it's probably also the mm-hmm. collagen, the, 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 the antibiotic destroys collagen and, and something in the teeth, but probably it's also because it destroys the microbiome, you know. And also because it depletes the magnesium. You need magnesium for strong uh-huh. bones and teeth too. That's yeah. So, basically well, pretty nasty yeah. antibiotic. Yeah. Yeah, it's one of the nastiest drugs, when besides vaccines, one of the yeah. nastiest things I've ever looked into. Like, the side yeah. effects are just horrendous. Yeah, I would say so, too. This is worse than statins and, like... Mm-hmm. Well, I'm kidding. Statins are pretty bad. Maybe. Those are pretty bad. Maybe, maybe <laughs> I mean that because, well, maybe it's not worse than statins, but... I guess maybe what I mean is that it it seems worse to me because it is prescribed for such innocuous things. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you could argue that having high cholesterol is a relatively innocuous thing as well. But uh, just the fact that people like coming with like a sinus infection or a urinary tract infection, and they get prescribed this 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 nuclear option that just like has such lasting damage. Like the number of reports you read about people taking one pill, two pills, taking it for a week, and they're just their life is ruined. Like to me, it, that that is just over the top. Like at least with a statin, you know, once you go on it, you, or once you go off it, I mean, uh, you know, provided you haven't been on it for too long, you can recover some. But these these ones are just so devastating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree because, like, at least if you're taking statins, you can take CoQ10 with that to try and sort of mitigate some of the effects. But it seems like with these. With these pills, I, I can't even see what you could take to mitigate it. Like you could try some things, but yeah. <laughs> there's so many there's so many things that this um, that this antibiotic really attacks in the system that I don't think that you could mitigate it uh, effectively. You know, by doing a couple of protocols or something, it seems like such a devastating thing. And the fact that it is, as you said, Doug, that it's um, so widespread. Um, it's really, really, really tragic. Yeah. And the thing is, mentioning when, when food. A, Go ahead, Gabby. No, the thing is, what we talk like once you have a severe adverse reaction, like retinal detachment, aortic aneurysm. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this brings me back to food and eating a proper diet. So you don't end up with these infections in the first place. I know when I went gluten and dairy free, I stopped getting sinus infections. I've never had a UTI, but I used to get yeast infections and things like that. But to, you know, boost your immune system, keep your detox pathways working properly. I mean, there's lots of things you can do for that. So this doesn't even have to become an issue like these random infections that people go to their doctors for and they get prescribed these horrible drugs. Yeah. Take good care, you know. Yeah. Yep. Well, uh, do you guys think it's a good time to go to the pet health segment for today? Uh, Zoya is going to talk to us about uh, factory farms and antibiotic resistant drugs and superbugs for pets. Hmm. Hello, and welcome to the Pet Health segment of the Health and Wellness Show. Today, I would like to share with you an excellent TED Talk, How Antibiotics Are Being Used 
to compensate for the overcrowded, stressful conditions on industrial farms and how that's creating superbugs that threaten public health. The talk is by Lance Price, who is a public health researcher who works at the interface between science and policy to address the growing crisis of antibiotic resistance. The talk is both fascinating and very concerning. Here it is. I think you'll see from my, my talk that Andrew Gumpther and I share a mutual respect and perhaps love, and, uh, and maybe some similar slides, actually. So I was born uh, in Arizona, but I spent most of my summers in central Texas on our family's ranch. We were lucky we weren't dependent on the ranch for our primary income, so we got the experience of raising animals without the stress of trying to make a living from it, which is, can be very stressful. Uh, this is a picture of me, a fuzzy picture of me with my father and our beef master bull named Tiger. I love this bull. So as I grew, as I grew up, I decided that I wouldn't go into the cattle business because I, I didn't want to go broke. And, uh, and I decided that anything would be easier than that. So I studied microbiology, genomics, and public health. And today I have, yeah, exactly, exactly, anything is easier. So today, I, I think I have one of the greatest jobs ever. I track superbugs. So I use DNA to understand where these things are coming from. And on one hand, my job is super exciting and fun because I get to see how these, these amazing little microbes exchange genes, pick up mutations, and become resistant to antibiotics and then take off around the world. They're, they're amazing. But on the other hand, my, my job is pretty depressing for some of the same reasons, but also because I see the victims of these superbugs. I've met the victims who barely survived with their lives, and sadly I've met parents who have lost their, children's, their children to these superbugs. And this is just a, a cute name that we use for antibiotic-resistant bacteria. So these are bacteria that are resistant to our best antibiotics. And it turns out that the CDC is saying that uh, those, those parents that are losing children are not so rare. 23,000 Americans die, this is a conservative estimate, 23,000 Americans die of superbug infections each year. And so understanding their origins is really essential. And on some levels, it's really simple. It's, it's just a matter of, of evolution. So let's pretend for a minute this is a very small group of bacteria. Bacteria usually travel in packs of billions. Every now and then when you have a a big group of bacteria, one of them is going to pick up a mutation or a gene from another bacterium that makes them resistant to antibiotics. If that's happening in an environment where you have a lot of antibiotics, then the susceptible bacteria, that, that is the non-resistant ones, are going to die off. And the resistant ones are going to go on to multiply. And the thing about bacteria is they multiply very quickly. So E. coli, for instance, can double every 30 minutes. And you can go from a single cell, a single drug-resistant E. coli, in less than a, to a billion, more than a billion, in 24 hours. So this is, this is simple Darwinian evolution, but Darwinian evolution in real time. And so if you're like me and you're interested in knowing where these superbugs are coming from, then you have to go to the places where we're using a lot of antibiotics. And the first thing that probably comes to mind are hospitals, right? And it's true. In the United States, we're using 7.7 .7 million pounds of antibiotics in, in human medicine each year. This is way too much. We're overdosed. 
and we're trying to bring that down. But we're using 30 million pounds of antibiotics in food animal production each year. 30 million pounds. And the data, or the best estimates suggest that only 20% of those antibiotics are being used to treat sick animals. 80% are being used as production tools. They're being used to make animals grow faster. They're being used to prevent diseases or treat diseases that are occurring just because of the way we're raising animals. The industry calls these production diseases. But rather than change production, we're just using antibiotics. And when it comes to antibiotic use, context is critical. So you have to look at how we're producing these animals. And if you're like me, this was your first image of a farm, right? And, and, and I think many of us carry this around. This is, this is still propagated, right? This, the red barn, the silo, the happy little animals, pigs that look like dogs. Um, <laughs> this, they're odd, aren't they? But I love these toys. And, and this is clearly, this had a huge influence on my life, Fisher-Price. But this is not... This is not the way we raise animals in the United States. We raise animals in concentrated animal feeding operations. So pigs spend their entire lives on concrete slabs surrounded by their own feces. Cattle will spend part of their lives grazing, like on my family's ranch, but they'll end up on these fecal wastelands that we call feedlots, where they're exchanging bacteria and fattening up for slaughter. Chickens spend their lives beak to feather with 75,000 of their best friends, and turkeys spend their lives much the same. Now, people call these things factory farms. That's a term that the industry hates. Reason enough to use it every now and then. Um, but when I see these factories, when I see these operations, I don't see factories making meat. I see factories making trillions and trillions and trillions of drug-resistant bacteria. No, the most diabolical villain could not design a better system for creating superbugs than the modern CAFO. You have everything you need. You have tens of thousands of animals crammed together in filthy, stressful conditions. You have bacteria, loads of bacteria, right, living in those animals, spreading between those animals. And then you have the magic ingredient. You have a, a steady stream of low-dose antibiotics. And, and we've known for decades that low-dose antibiotics creates drug-resistant bacteria. Alexander Fleming, we heard about this. Alexander Fleming warned us. He said, ignorant men would use these drugs at low doses and create superbugs. And the science has proven this over and over again ever since then. He warned us in 1945, and ever since then we've seen the evidence of this. But some people, some ignorant men, still ignore that, that science and actually promote the use of low-dose antibiotics. The food animal industry itself promotes the use of antibiotics to grow animals faster and to control diseases. They promote antibiotics as if they're a tool, our life-saving drugs as a tool. But antibiotics are not tools. You know, antibiotics are amazing drugs. And what I would say is that if you've designed a system that requires a constant input of antibiotics to keep animals from getting sick, then that system's broken. If you treat based on a clock, Thank you. If you're treating based on a clock or a calendar, there's something wrong. And you have to reinvent that system. You have to change that system to raise healthy animals. Again, antibiotics are not tools. They're not just tools for us to abuse. Antibiotics are what Stuart Levy called societal drugs. Let me use a counterexample to, to get this point across. 
If you misuse Tylenol, or if you misuse acetaminophen, the active ingredient in Tylenol, you can destroy your liver and die. You'll die a horrible death. But that doesn't affect anybody else's ability to take Tylenol for a headache. If you misuse antibiotics, I told you it influenced my life, right? If you, if you misuse antibiotics, you can create drug-resistant bacteria inside you, on you, that can then spread to other people in society and prevent them from being treated with that same antibiotic. Right? That's why we call these societal drugs. The problem with using them in food animal production is that animals like people have trillions of bacteria living in them. And when you feed them antibiotics, you're going to force some of those bacteria to become resistant to those antibiotics. And when you butcher those animals to make meat, some of those bacteria inevitably get onto that meat, and then those go on to cause drug-resistant infections in people. That's the problem. And you have, in America, you have an industry that's knowingly using sub-therapeutic uses of antibiotics, creating drug-resistant bacteria, and then distributing those bacteria to every grocery store in the country. And then what happens, like the the recent Foster Farms outbreak with drug-resistant salmonella, multi-drug-resistant salmonella, what happens? They blame us. They say, people need to cook their meat better. Could you imagine if, would we allow a company to pump toxic fumes into the air and then tell us to wear gas masks? I don't think we would allow that. Some people have called me an alarmist. You know, some people say I use alarmist terminology. And I guess rather than deny that, I say, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to ring the alarm. I see that our house is on fire and I'm not satisfied with sitting inside the house as it burns to the ground. And it turns out I'm not the only one using strong language to describe these superbugs, to describe this challenge that we face. Other groups are using the words crisis, nightmare, catastrophic threat. But these aren't radicals saying this. This is the World Health Organization. This is the CDC, the UK Health Ministry saying this. These people are not prone. These groups are not prone to hyperbole. You know, they see what I see. They see that we're barreling towards a time when our antibiotics no longer work. It's going to change our lives completely. They see that our house is on fire and there's no place else to live. But despite all this, I actually consider myself an optimist. I see that we can change this. I know, I've seen very clear evidence from Denmark, from other places around the world, that if you remove the antibiotics from food animal production, many of those bacteria will revert to being susceptible to those antibiotics again. You're still going to have bacteria in the meat. You still have to cook it, yes. You still have to handle it correctly. But when people get sick, and people still get sick, you can treat them with antibiotics and make them better again. That's where we should be using the antibiotics, to treat sick people. How do we put this fire out? First thing, we have to embrace this idea that antibiotics are different, that they're a societal drug, and value them for what they are. I'm a scientist. They're just short of a miracle. I want, they're almost a miracle, right? They save people's lives. So we should only be using them to treat sick people and sick animals. But we should change our system of raising animals so that they don't get sick, that they're healthy animals. We need to increase hygiene in our hospitals, in our, in our homes, and in our food production system. And yes, we need new antibiotics. But this is not the answer. This is not the ultimate answer. We've had so many new antibiotics since Alexander Fleming discovered penicillin. We've had so many, and each time the bacteria became resistant to them. Why? Because we've introduced them to a broken system. We have to change the system. And, yeah, we'll get new antibiotics, but let's introduce it into a a system that doesn't create drug-resistant bacteria. 
the good news is the models exist. So there are, there are food animal production systems that are highly efficient, even industrialized systems that don't need antibiotics, that don't use antibiotics. And then there are the more natural, you know, the, the open air, the more traditional forms of raising animals that are becoming hopefully more popular. This is my friend Kai. He's a Danish pig farmer. And I went to his farm one day. And I was struck when he stood in his pen with these pigs, massive, massive hogs. And he walks in, and one, one comes up to him and kind of leans against his legs like a dog. And he reached down, reaches down, and he rubs its ear. And he says, I love this. I'm a farmer again. And he said, when we used to use the drugs, and when we had these animals packed in here too tight, they were stressed out, they were angry, and it was dangerous. He said, now look at it. He gives me one of these big smiles. So my dream is that we stop propping up this broken system with antibiotics, that we let farmers be farmers again, that we have animals live like healthy animals again, and that we save antibiotics for future generations. We can do this, but we have to act now. Thank you. Sounds like healthy goats that didn't have too many antibiotics. Yeah. <laughs> for sure. I love those goats. <laughs> I was scared for well, a minute a good... that the goats weren't going to play. It's like, oh no, I, I need the goats. <laughs> I the need goats? the goats. <laughs> that was a good talk, though. Thank, thank you, Zoe, for sharing that with us. I liked what he said about the alarmist thing, because that was my first thought when he said that was, what the hell is wrong with being an alarmist? Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you have to... Somebody's got to sound the alarm. Yeah. Well, so we've had a lot to think about today. Uh, as with a lot of the topics that we discuss, it's a scary situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, can be depressing, but it's worth looking at, if for nothing else, uh, for you to help yourself be healthier and your kids. Um, mm-hmm. So I would take Gabby's advice on this, you know, and if it comes up to a point where you need an antibiotic, be open with your doctor and be firm. Uh, you know, that you want, you don't want, uh, fluoroquinones. I think I said that wrong. Fluoroquinolones. There you go. There you you just go. tell the doctor you don't want to get floxed. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't flox me, bro. <laughs> like that. Tell her like that. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> that should have been the title of the show. Don't flox me, bro. <laughs> all right well uh thank you everybody for tuning in and to our chat participants for uh for participating in the chat today um be sure to tune into the sot radio network uh podcast on sunday um at noon eastern time uh and if you're not uh, in the united states just go to radio uh, radio radio.sot.net and the the air time will be there in your local time zone uh, so we'll be back next week. Thanks again, everybody. Thank Thanks, you. everyone. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Bye.